morning. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, come on now. How are you today? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Does it feel just a little stuffy in here today? I just feel like it's a little stuffy. Listen, this one's been a long time coming, so we're going to celebrate this morning. You know what I'm saying? Here, thank you very much, Lori. I appreciate it. I'm just saying. Scoreboard. Anyway, um, was that great? I don't care. You know, you, you may hate the Longhorns, and we pray for your soul, but even then... You gotta admit that was an impressive display yesterday. They just lined up and punched them in the throat. And I think the angels sang and God smiled. So anyway, that's a good deal. Anyway, hey, real quick, I want to ask you to take out your program that you got when you came in, and I want to point something out to you that we're going to be diving into next week. While you're pulling that out today, especially for those of you who showed up in the rain and the weather, give yourselves a round of applause. That's awesome. But let me tell you what I want you to do. As you leave later on today, when our service ends in the two or three hours, I want you to find somebody in the parking lot or a volunteer or somebody wearing a black tech shirt team. Our volunteers today have done an unbelievable job of pulling together a service. So thank our volunteers, especially our tech crew. They've had all kinds of issues today. It's been great. I mean, they've done a phenomenal job just so we could have church in the house. You know, it's so bad. ACL canceled. But we're still having church. So I'm just saying, they've done a great job. So anyway, uh, also next week, look right here on this little red thing. We're starting a sermon series next weekend that I am jacked up about. It's going to be awesome. It's called Keep Calm and Family On. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have a family or you came from a family? It's unanimous. How many of you know that sometimes family gets a little messy? Can I just say, okay, I'm not saying yours, but you know people that it happens to sometimes. I want you to look underneath your seats. There's a little stack of invitation cards. If you're sitting on the end of the row, this is a great series to invite somebody to. We're going to talk for the next few weeks about how God wants family to be everything that it can be, no matter what your situation might be. Some people have a beaver cleaver situation. Some people come from a lot harder situation. God wants to use your situation in your life and your situation out beyond that situation. So that's kind of the upshot of where this series is going over the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to invite somebody, bring somebody with you who doesn't yet know how much God loves them. Now, if they're plugged into another church, don't invite them. They're happy there. That's cool. We're not trying to shuffle the sheep. We want to reach people that have not yet discovered how much God loves them. And this series is a great, great way to do that. So the invitation cards are just kind of part of the muscle memory of being around Lake Hills Church. This is who we are. This is what we do. So I want to encourage you, exhort you, challenge you, cajole you, whatever it takes. That's the, all the thesaurus I got this morning. But invite somebody to be a part of what we're doing around here over the next few weeks. Now, this morning, we are wrapping up a series that we began about four years ago called Explore God. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that long ago. But we started a series called Explore God that obviously focused on the sermons that originate in here. But the series itself really is more about igniting spiritual conversations that radiate out of the sermons that happen on Sunday morning. And we've covered a lot of ground, but this morning, I'm excited because... We're going to talk about a subject that I think kind of flies under the radar far too often. It's 
under the radar, but it's there almost universally for people who have not yet connected with God in a meaningful and a personal way. How many times have you ever heard somebody say something like this? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know, have you ever heard that? Especially here in Austin. We hear that a lot around here. Or maybe, man, I, I get the God thing. I'm just not into organized religion. Have you heard that one as well? Well, today we're going to talk about organized religion. And the sermon is just very simply entitled, What About the Church? What about the church? Because a lot of people have a lot of hang-ups where the church is concerned. Some of you might have come from an experience way back in your past, and this is your first or second time back in church in years, and you're kind of like walking in on eggshells and pins and needles. I want to invite everybody right now, everybody, if you will, just kind of sit up and take a deep breath. Just kind of let that little caffeine breath out and just, just let it go, because what we're about to do today is to set some folks free, and especially set some folks free who maybe are down with the church thing, and you're excited about it, but you don't know necessarily how to answer these questions. And I want to go back to a verse that we used earlier in this series where Jesus kind of approached his closest followers, and he asked them what at first appeared to be a just how's the weather conversation. He said, you know, who do people say that I am? Well, what's the, what's the buzz on you know, going on. What's the buzz in town about who I am and what you and I are up to? You guys have left your family, left your occupations, and you followed me, but what is it that people outside of this group are saying? And the disciples kind of started chiming in and saying, Jesus, you wouldn't believe. Some people say that you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. Other people say you're Elijah or another one of the prophets, come back to life. I mean, it is just cray-cray what's being said about you out there in the community, Jesus. And Jesus kind of let the moment develop and unfold. And then he brought it to the question he wanted to ask. And he brought it to a very, very fine point, not only for those apostles in the room there, but I think for every single one of us when he asked this question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? And we... we addressed this question when we did that sermon, Is Jesus Really God? back in the Explore God series. But what I want to do is kind of go beyond that because we did not pick up with the rest of the story as Paul Harvey would have done years ago because it was our man Peter. Peter was the one who stood up and in front of Jesus and the other apostles there said, You are the Christ, the promised one, the son of the living God. And it's just one more reason that I love Peter. Peter was just one of these, he was just Heart on his sleeve. What you see is what you get. Now, to be sure, what you saw wasn't always good when you got it. I mean, Peter was the same one who, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter was the one who took out a sword and lopped off a guy's ear. So, I mean, Peter was not perfect, which, again, is another reason I love that the Bible goes to the trouble to include our man Peter. But in this particular moment... Peter was the one who stood up and said, you are the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because my father in heaven revealed this to you. And it was not revealed to you by human logic or rational thinking. This was a God moment in your life, Peter, where you realized who I am. And it was that moment, not only in the life of Peter, 
Not only in the life of those apostles, it was a moment in the development and the unfolding of God's purposes, of God's kingdom in this world. Look at how Jesus followed this up in the Bible. Jesus says to Peter, now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Say rock. That was kind of a soft rock. I don't know. Would that be igneous? Kind of a soft rock? Let's, let's, let's make it. Say rock. Rock. Yeah. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus does with this conversation. He starts out kind of big picture. Who do people say that I am? Then he gets incredibly personal. Who do you say that I am? Then he goes back out big picture and he says, upon this confession, Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, all of the powers of hell arrayed against the purposes and desires of God will never be able to conquer what I'm going to do from this moment forward. Whoa, can you imagine being there in that room with Jesus at that moment? Like all of a sudden it's like, Wow. All I know is one day I'm fishing and then the next day I'm walking around watching you heal people and now you're telling me that you're going to build your church? You're going to do something that will prevail against anything and everything that the world has to offer? And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, in a moment of complete pastoral transparency, I have to tell you this. Yesterday morning when I pulled up to my TV to watch Texas play OU, I was very hopeful. I was, I was hopeful that Texas would win that football game because I believe that that's what God wanted. And so I believe that, that I really was on the same page and I pulled up and, and I just was like, come on. And, and I was like watching, you know, with one eye, kind of just like hoping against hope because let's be honest, we had some indications that it might not go that way. But if you had come to me before that game started and said, Mac, Relax. Just chill. I want you to know, guaranteed, no doubt about it, Texas will beat OU today. I would have looked at you and, and said or thought something to myself like, oh, sweet man, that, that's, that's such a cute sentiment. And I, and I appreciate your optimism. I appreciate the hope which springs eternal in your heart. But yeah, I don't know. See, we, we didn't know that that was going to happen yesterday. We didn't. We hoped. We, we, some prayed, but we, we hoped that it would happen. But Jesus is telling Peter, as he's telling you and me right here, that the church wins. When it's all said and done, the church, the body of Christ, wins. No matter what happens, no matter what forces are thrown against it, no matter what setbacks it suffers, no matter how poorly we play sometimes, in the final analysis, the church wins. And here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus makes a promise, when Jesus guarantees something, it's not like Muhammad Ali guaranteeing a win. Jesus cannot lie. He cannot say something that will turn out to be false because it's contrary to his nature. It's contrary to his character. And because Jesus is God, because he is fully divine, at the same time he was fully human, 
Jesus knows the end game. And so when he makes this promise, he says, my church will prevail. And that will happen. And so that's why we need to deal with the church in this series, Explore God. Because a lot of people will say, man, I'm just, the church is messed up. The church has got like some messed up people. And I think every one of us who is the church would say, yeah, we are messed up. That's part of being a Christian. It's saying we're messed up. We needed help. We needed forgiveness. We needed grace. We couldn't do it on our own. Nobody's denying that. And to be fair, the history of the church is fairly checkered at best. There, there are a lot of things down through the ages that do not reflect the desires and the goals and the purposes of our founder, Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we throw the church out. I have a very good friend who is a dentist. And this dentist that I go to is great with teeth. I've sat in his chair sometimes for hours over a number of years, and I have never, ever hurt in his chair. How many of you have never been hurt in a dentist chair? I... Exactly, nobody. I have been, but not in this dentist chair. But now, what if on my next appointment, I went to see my friend the dentist, and I sat down in the waiting room, and he never called my name. And he never called my name because there had been a scheduling snafu. And the waiting room attendant would say, Mr. Richard, I'm so sorry. We had a scheduling snafu, and there's a problem. We need to reschedule your appointment. And I said, ha, you must be kidding. Any dentist that would forget an appointment is a bad dentist. And as a matter of fact, I'm never going to the dentist ever again. Ha! You'd be like, Mac, chill, man. It's, it's, a, it's a mess up. It's a mistake. It doesn't mean that all dentists are bad. And yet a lot of times people do that with the church. Because somebody did something sinful back down the road in a position of authority. Or because somebody did something stupid and hurtful and painful, they've written off all churches. They've written off all Christianities. They've written off all God because of what a person did back down the road. I love this one when people say, man, I'm not going to church. Church is full of hypocrites, man. Church is full of hypocrites. Well, of course we are. It's not intentional. We follow a perfect God. We're called to follow a perfect, morally flawless, holy, righteous God. That doesn't mean we are yet. So when somebody says, man, the church is full of hypocrites, you know how to answer that? Just go, man, that's okay. We got room for one more. Come on. That's all right. That's all a hypocrite is. A hypocrite ascribes to a standard that they're striving toward. It doesn't mean that they hit it every time. We don't try to be hypocritical, but sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we have to say, I was wrong. It doesn't mean that God was wrong. It doesn't mean that Jesus was wrong. It doesn't mean that his church will not prevail. It means that we mess up. And I think the best way to describe what the church is all about is an image that the Bible uses, if you fast forward a few years after the earthly ministry of Christ, to the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write his essay on marriage, to, to show us what marriage really and truly looks like. 
This is what Ephesians 5 says. Now it says, husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her. Paul's saying, if you, if you want to understand what this looks like, if you want to understand how to be a godly husband, how to be a successful husband, yes, the Bible says, husbands, lead your wives. And a lot of people get really bent when they get to that part about wives submit to your husbands, and I understand that. But when you get bent over that, it means that you don't understand what it's really saying. Because it says, yes, wives submit to your husbands after husbands have submitted their own wants, needs, and desires to their wives because Christ did that. Christ gave himself up for the church. Christ leads the church. But the way that Christ leads is by giving himself up, by serving the church. And so this is the picture that husbands are to have for their wives. We're going to talk about this in the next sermon series. But this is ultimately a picture of what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly. Jesus, because he is completely God, could have thought himself out of that predicament. He could have just walked away and floated into the ether to go back to heaven, but he didn't do that. He chose to endure the cross to fulfill the commission that his father in heaven had given him. And when he did that, he gave himself up willingly. He chose to die on the cross for you by name, for me by name. And so all of these questions that we've talked about throughout the last few weeks, is the Bible really reliable? Well, what about evolution? What about creation? What about the purpose in life? All of those big picture questions matter and they're important. But they all come to a point at the cross. At what Jesus did for you. At what Jesus did for me. He gave himself up. And this is the picture of Christ in the church. Ephesians 5 goes on. It says, He gave himself up to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. You see, Jesus is in the process of bringing us into the fulfillment of what he created us for in the first place. And the cross was the first step in that process, that cleansing, that sanctifying work of Jesus. Now, look at what it says. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That means she will be. Which means by direct inference, we ain't there yet. Hey, real quickly, with passion and enthusiasm, I don't want you to look at the person next to you and tell them with a smile on your face, you ain't there yet. And that's okay. As long as we are giving the Holy Spirit His lead. As long as we are allowing the Holy Spirit to continue that work within us, to make us holy, spotless, without any wrinkle or blemish. Because that's Christ's desire for the church. Here's the deal. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride 
of Christ. Look at what Ephesians 5 goes on to say. Check this out. <clears throat> As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The two become one flesh. Greatest understatement in the entire Bible. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So God wants to use marriage to communicate what he's trying to do between Christ and the church. So when you see a marriage that works, when you see a marriage that God is blessing, when you see a marriage where the husband loves the wife and the wife honors her husband, you are seeing a picture of what God wants to accomplish in and through the church. That's how God set this up. So you, you have this incredible mystery, this incredible picture of Christ in the church. So for somebody to say, you know, I'm cool with God, or maybe I'm, Jesus is okay, but, but I'm not down with the church, man. I'm not into that church thing. Here's the problem. Christ and the church, the Bible says, are one. They are a package deal. Some of you know, you've been around here for years or, you know, months even, and you know that I married way over my head. You know that my wife, Julie, is the greatest decision that I've ever made in my life other than to follow Christ and respond to his grace. And if you're ever around Julie for about 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to be just going, why did she marry him? I, I don't understand that. There's, there's, there's a puzzlement marriage there. Have you ever seen a puzzlement marriage where you're kind of like, what was up? Well, that's Julie and me, and that's fine. That's all. Listen, I'm, I'm happy with that. I will celebrate that till the day I die. But if you and I meet apart from Julie, and we kind of click, and we sit down, and we have a cup of espresso, maybe a you know a, a double espresso because we're really like amped up to meet and hang out, and then later on you meet my wife Julie. And for some unknown reason, you have no gift of discernment and you go, you know, Mac, you're okay, but I'm not, I don't really like your wife. I'm going to be like, let's dance. You, you don't talk about my bride. That, that's, my, that's my wife. You, you can't like me and not like Julie. Because if you don't like Julie, I don't like you. I love you. I know we love everybody, but I'm not going to like you. The church is Christ's bride. His bride. This is what he's trying to accomplish. And so I want to take your programs out. I want to give you a few things just to remember about the bride of Christ and about the bridegroom. Because I think they're important. Number one, you've got to remember that the groom loves the bride. The groom loves the bride. He doesn't like her. He doesn't think she's hot only. He loves her. He gave himself up for her. So if you want to follow Christ, you're going to love the church. Now, that doesn't mean that you think the church is perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect church. My pastor growing up in Houston he used to tell us all the time, we, I grew up in a Baptist church where every Sunday we sang Just As I Am and invited people to walk the aisle. How many of you had an experience? You know what I'm talking about? If you didn't, that's okay. But I'm just saying that was my experience. 
And I remember my pastor, Dr. Ed Young, would say on a regular basis, we're not a perfect church. If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. <laughs> now, we all laugh at that. That's the laugh of recognition. We know we're not perfect. We know we are messed up. I know the stuff in my past. We know that we need help. We know that we needed grace, that we need a Savior, we need forgiveness. But the groom loves the bride. The groom loves the bride. Second of all, the groom asks for the bride's hand. The groom asks for the bride's hand. Now this is profound because it means that grace is God's initiative. You can't get the groom to like you because you joined the church. You can't earn the groom's favor, Jesus, because you're a good person or because you got baptized. The groom took the initiative. Jesus offered himself up on the cross for you before you or before I ever knew we needed forgiveness from our sins. This is the beauty of grace. It is undeserved, 110%. You can't earn the favor of God. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. I remember <clears throat> when I called Julie's dad to ask her to ask for her hand in marriage. She's from Mississippi, so I was living in Texas, and I called to, to offer to go meet with him face-to-face. -face. How many of you have ever done that? You, you did that with your prospective father-in-law. There, there's a little bit of that. I don't care who. That's a terrifying moment. Am I, am I right? Am I right or am I right? So, thank you. Julie's dad could not have been more gracious. I said, Joe, I'd love to come visit with you. What do you want to talk about, son? I'm on the phone with him. Well, Joe, I mean... Candidly, I, Julie and I are in love, and I love your daughter, and I would very much like to ask her to marry me if you'll give me your blessing. Done. We don't have to meet, son. When are y'all thinking about? <laughs> True story. That's a direct quote. But I asked for her. I took the initiative. I drove to Mississippi to propose to Julie. Julie responded to my initiative. I drove to Mississippi on Christmas Eve, spent the night at a Ramada Inn hotel, dining on a Christmas Eve dinner of Domino's Pizza. The next morning, unbeknownst to Julie, her dad came and picked me up at the front door of the Laurel, Mississippi Ramada Inn, took me back to their house. Julie was still asleep. I stealthily crept up the stairs, opened the door where she was sleeping as her father watched close behind There I got down on one knee and I said, Julie, will you marry me? She looked back at me and with tears in her eyes, she said, nobody looks this ugly when they get engaged. <laughs> to this day, she hasn't said yes. But we did have a wedding. We have had a couple of kids. We were a part of a group that started this thing called Lake Hills Church. 22 years in, I'm pretty sure she's in. But I took the initiative. 
Jesus took the initiative for the church. He asked for the bride's hand. Next, the bride presents herself lovely. The bride presents herself lovely. You and I, as the bride of Christ, the church, ought to put our best foot forward for the world to see. To the world, because we represent the bridegroom, Jesus. We ought to reflect the love and the initiative that he's taken for us. The bride presents herself lovely. Men, I'm curious, how many of you have ever gotten married? You were you were a groom in a wedding. Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, you and I both know you didn't really have to be there. You didn't. I mean, they could have had a cardboard cutout or a hologram or something. That, really, truly, the wedding is about the bride. How many of you know that's true? If, you, if you're not raising your hand, you're not paying attention, so that's okay. I don't mean you're not paying attention to the sermon. I mean you're not paying attention to weddings. That bride, that is her day. She, she, that's, that's her moment as the bride. My um, wife's family, her great uncle, was getting ready to escort his daughter down the aisle. And all of the preliminaries had been done. The wedding party had entered. Canon and D, all that stuff had been played. And finally, the back doors of the church closed just before they opened for them to walk out. And as the doors closed, Marcia looked over at her father and she goes, Daddy, here we go. And her, her dad, Uncle Dewey, Dewey goes, didn't even look. Goes, Marcia, people get married every day. Again, you can't make this stuff up. Don't ask me if that's a true story. That's a fact. But let me tell you something. When they walk through those doors, just like when Julie walked through the doors on my wedding day, the bride presented herself lovely. I still remember. I still remember standing at the front of First Baptist Church, Laurel, Mississippi, when those doors flung open and my bride was coming down the aisle. It was awesome. She presented herself lovely. And by the grace of God, Julie continues to present herself lovely. But I think that's the picture for us as the church. To present ourselves lovely to the world as we represent the bridegroom. For the world to want to be a part of what we get to be a part of. By the way they see us treat each other. The way they see us treat our spouses, our kids, the way they see us work, we should present ourselves lovely. And then next, the bride gives herself completely. This is not a dip your toe in the water kind of a deal. When Julie and I got married, it wasn't like, we're going to try this out for a month and see what happens. We're going to keep our options open. No, no, no. The bride gives herself completely, again, in response to the groom who has already given himself completely. Jesus gave himself up on the cross. And he calls for a similar response. That we would give ourselves completely to him. And then the bride honors the groom. The bride honors the groom. It's our job as followers of Christ 
to honor Him in everything that we do. Because the final statement is the same as the first. The groom loves the bride. The groom loves the bride. Jesus loves the church. I mean, loves the church. Now, I know that there are a lot of great parachurch organizations that are out there, have done a lot of great things. But make no mistake about it, it is the church that will prevail. It is the church, the body of Christ, against whom all the powers of hell will not succeed. It is the church. It's the church. It's the church. It's the church. I didn't make that up, and I'm not saying it because I'm the pastor. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. The, bride, the groom loves the bride. Now, I need to tell you something just very, very quickly. I love the church, personally. I love it. And I don't mean just Lake Hills Church, although I'm biased. I love this church a lot. But what I want to do is just list for you a few reasons why I love the church. And I'm going to invite you to write these down and just see if one or two or all of them don't resonate with you personally. I love the church. And, and here's the deal. I'll admit that I'm biased, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know, people go, well, you're biased. Okay, I'm biased. Doesn't mean I'm wrong. Here's why I love the church. Number one, the church saved my life. The church saved my life. When my parents divorced when I was in middle school, it was the church. It was people just like you who rallied around my mom and my brothers and my family. The church saved my life. Number two, the church is where I met my purpose. It was in the church that I discovered why God had created me and what his calling in my life was. Now, for me, it just so happens that my calling was into ministry, to be a pastor, ultimately. But I found that out in the context of the family of faith. I found that out in the church. Listen, your purpose, your calling is absolutely personal and unique. But it will always be discovered and played out and made manifest in the context of community. Nobody's purpose is revealed or manifest in a vacuum, just by yourself. It always happens in the context of the church. Number three, the church is where I met my wife. How many of y'all are not married right now? Let me just see a show of hands. Maybe you're a student, you're a kid, single adult, divorced, widow, whatever. Okay. The church is a great place to meet a spouse. That's not the only reason you should come to church, but it, it's better to poke in the eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you've got the church, 6th Street. 6th Street, the church. 6th Street, I mean, it's kind of... Now, it happens. I'm not saying... I know, I know one couple in particular. They met at the Broken Spoke 20 years ago, and they're still married and happily loving the Lord. Great kids, great family. I would suggest that's the exception that proves the rule. And the rule is you meet great people in the church. Church is where I met my wife. Number four, the church helped me raise my kids. The church is helping Julie and me raise our kids. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we do everything we can as parents. But it's the church 
that helps. Two months ago, we dropped our eldest off at college. Her first priority, her first priority was getting connected and plugged into a local church because of y'all. Because of what she got to see in y'all as she grew up. It wasn't because, listen, when they go to college, I can't make her join a church. I tried. It's because of you. She wanted to be a part of a church because of what she saw around here. Because of you. And so thank you for helping to raise my kids. Thank you for showing them what it looks like. Thank you for being that kind of a body of Christ that they want to continue that relationship going on. You did that. Julie and I couldn't have made that happen. We couldn't have forced that. That was you. That was God through you. How many of you dads have ever coached one of your son's teams? Let me just see a show of hands. When you coach your son's team, or your daughter's team, excuse me, sons or your daughters, don't email me. <clears throat> How many of you know that it's always more effective for the other coach to tell your child the same thing? It just is. I can say, Joseph, you need to use your left hand. He'd be like, okay, Dad. Other coaches go, Joseph, you need to use your left hand. Oh, yes, sir. I'll do that. It's <laughs> part of growing up. That's okay. You did that for my kid. You are doing that for my kids. And I'm, Julie and I are beyond grateful to you for being that kind of church. You've never made my kids feel like pastor's kids. You just made them feel like kids being raised up in the family of God. And the reason you were able to do that is because our kids stayed connected to the house. That was our choice as mom and dad. People say all the time, well, I don't want to make them go to church. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. This is what we do. I never told Emily and Joseph, you go to Wednesday night youth group because daddy's the pastor. Just go ahead and open the grenade now. We said, no, you're a part of the youth group because this is what we do. We stay connected to the house, to the church. This is what we do. And it was in that that you helped to raise our kids. Thank you. Number five, the church serves the poor. Did you know that it is Christians, the body of Christ, who best serves the poor and underprivileged in the world better than anybody? Anybody. It's the church. And I love that. Number six, the church feeds me. The church is where I grow spiritually. Yes, it happens from time to time in my own walk and in my own prayer life or maybe in a deer blind. I love it when men especially go, I don't need to go to church to get close to God. Some of my greatest moments with God are in a deer blind. I love being with God in a deer blind. I, I get that. I've had great moments with God in a deer blind too. But you cannot grow apart from community. You need to write that down. You cannot grow apart from community, from other people who are further along than you. I know it's possible. Scary, I know. But the church feeds me. Number seven, 
The church unites generations. Do you know in our church right now, in our children's ministry, our preschool and nursery, we have grandparents serving with their grandchildren in the lives of nursery and preschool kids. We've got middle school and high school kids with adult, appropriate adult supervision serving the next generation beneath them, but they're doing it with their grandparents. The church unites generations better than anybody. Part of the fun for Julie and me was when Emily and Joseph were four, five, and six, they got to be around people who were 40, 50, and 60. That's awesome. The church unites generations. And then number eight, I love the church because the church is Christ's bride. Jesus saved my life. And Jesus gave himself up for the church. And so as I follow him, that's going to be my priority as well. And what a beautiful thing to give yourself to. Because again, in the words of Jesus himself, we win. We win. Now, Jesus stands on its head the definition of winning. Winning in our culture means something entirely different from what Jesus meant it to be. Because in Jesus' economy, winning means giving yourself up. Winning means dying to self and living to Him. That is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's what it means to be the bride of Christ. So what about the church? Yeah, we're messed up. And we're doing the best we can with what we've got to work with. But what a beautiful thing to get to be a part of. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? In this moment, I want to take just a second and present to you the same question that Jesus presents. Who do you say that he is? For the last few weeks, we've explored God. And throughout this series, we've seen that the essence of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is relationship. It is to know Him. It's really not about religion or rituals in and of themselves, but it's about relationship with Him. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, you've never given yourself completely to Him, then we want to invite you to do that right now. Just right where you're sitting to pray a prayer of commitment, a response to His initiative, to His grace. Just right where you're sitting, just pray silently. prayer of commitment. Just say, Jesus, I need you. That's it. Just talk to him right now. Just say silently, God, you are God and I'm not. And so right here, right now, I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. 
I give you my life once and for all. In this moment, in Jesus' name, just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment I would appreciate it. I just want to ask everyone in this room to guard this moment to not be getting up and stirring for any reason but if that was your prayer in this place and you meant it on this rainy stormy Sunday morning if you just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, would you please raise your hand up high over your head for just a second? Just hold it there over your head for just a moment because this is the most important moment in your life. And it's a moment that deserves to be marked, to be celebrated. And as a church, we want to help with this moment. Just pass something down the road to you because I can tell you this, there will come another moment and you kind of think, okay, what now? I took that step. I prayed that prayer of faith and beginning. Where do I go from here? And as a church, we want to help with that. And so that little gift that's coming down the road is just for you. And as you open up that lid, you'll see there's a card inside that just says, ask you to fill that out. And I want to ask you, if you will, just fill that out right now. The rest of that is for you later. There's a Bible in there for, your, for you to have. Some information to read later on this afternoon. But that card is the place to begin connecting with the bride of Christ. If you'll just fill that out and you can drop it in the offering bag as it comes by you in just a moment. But as a church, we honor that moment in your life. We celebrate that. We have a family tradition. We kind of like to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home.